0: It is a delight to see all of you here this morning. We appreciate the presence of every one of you because your presence is indicative of your spiritual interest, and for that I am grateful, and for the kind attention that you will pay to this lesson, I express my appreciation in advance. And that includes not just those who are here that I'm looking at this morning, but all of you back at home who are worshiping with us. We are very much aware of the fact that you are at home, and and I literally long for and pray for the day when we can all be back together again. In fact, when we were singing that beautiful song, Magnificat, and uh, if you had been sitting where I was sitting and and listening to the voices that were blending, in fact, the next time we sing that song, I encourage you to all come sit with me, okay? just Everybody come sit on the first two rows, and and you will really appreciate what that that song sounds like. But as we were singing that song, in my heart I could hear the voices at home that you were joining us in worship and singing, and uh, just reaffirms the fact that we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And and we're grateful for your continued interest, even if you cannot be with us physically this morning. Back in 1957, there was a silly little film by Jerry Lewis. All of his films were silly. And uh, he played the uh, prototypical inept young man that he play, play, played in all of his movies. But in this particular movie, it was called The Delicate Delinquent. That's a strange title, but it was a strange movie. He tried, but failed to be a a juvenile delinquent and there is toward the end of that movie a very powerful and poignant scene in where he's talking to his best friend whom he looked up to and Lewis says when I try to be bad I'm good and when I try to be good I'm bad when I was a kid I was a jerk when I was a teenager I was stupid and now I'm a man and I'm empty I know two things about me one I'm nothing two I want to be something even though the, the film itself is intended to be a comedy, I think that that really speaks for all of us at some point in our lives where we say, I am not what I want to be. I am not the best version of myself. And I want to be everything that God has in mind for me. And I believe each of us as God's children, as we're growing in the grace of God every day, can mirror that sentiment in our own hearts and our own lives. We want to be something. I remember reading some years ago now a well-known author of Christian books, and he tells the story about one day going with a film crew and beginning to, to set up to shoot a video in front of the Alamo that was not far from where he lived. And as the crew of four was working to set up the lights and the cameras, and the author was sitting on a bench outside in front of the Alamo trying to think through what he wanted to say for, for the video, and as people passed by, he noticed that some of them began to stop and stare. They wanted to know what was going on. And he could hear people talking about, among themselves about who is that guy and, and, and what do you think it is they're filming. And then finally, one bold woman from a crowd some distance away shouted out and said, Hey, are you somebody important? That is a question that we all must, must ask and answer at some point in our lives. And I'll guarantee you this, that how we answer that question is determined by our, our worldview, by our frame of reference. If we're just viewing that from the way the world evaluates us, we will answer one way. But in light of the passage that John read a moment, and we'll return to that also in just a little while, God tells us that we are somebody important But maybe not for the reasons that we have imagined. It's easy to feel anything but important, isn't it? If someone hasn't asked us that question or made the personal declaration that, hey, I don't think you are anyone important, all of us certainly have asked ourselves that question at one time or another. Am I somebody important? So I want us to think about that for a few minutes together this morning. It's hard to measure up to the expectations of the world let alone the expectations of our family and our friends who know us best. And of course, some of us don't really need the evaluation of of others to make us wonder about ourselves because we can oftentimes be our own worst enemy, can't we? As we evaluate and ask how important we are, how valuable we are in life, sometimes if we ask ourselves that question, we answer that in the negative. So if you find yourself struggling with the question, am I somebody important, then please be assured that you're not alone. Most people struggle with that question of of self-image and and self-worth, at least at some point in their lives. And and guess what? There's always going to be people, if we evaluate ourselves and our worth by looking at other people, there's always going to be people who are bigger and stronger and better looking than we are. There's always others that have more influence and more opportunities, more letters before or after their names, more books published, and, and so self-worth had better not be determined by our comparing ourselves to others. At least that's what Paul said in his Second Corinthians letter, chapter 10, in verse 12. It's so easy to look at, at others and to think that they've never had any doubts, they've never had any struggles of their own, but they do. For the simple reason that everyone does. So I I want us to to, to begin this discussion this morning by looking at a promise of God. And here's the really important promise from God that each of us must believe and receive. And that is that you are, in fact, someone important. That's God's promise. And it's made to every single one of us. And and you may be thinking, when I said that, you know, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. And I don't ever remember reading a promise like that. Well, God's promise to us that we are somebody important is, isn't so much stated in those exact words, it's implied in God's actions toward us from, from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. The, the fact that each of us is somebody important and special begins with our very creation. And that's why I decided on Genesis 1, and 27 is our text for this morning's study. The Bible teaches us that, that we human beings created by God were created in his image and for his glory. Let me, let me say that again. I, I don't want you to miss that. That's foundational. The Bible teaches us that every one of us have been created in God's image and to reflect his glory. Both of those parts are equally significant. And that within itself ought to tell you something. Look, look at God what God said here. And, and I want us to focus on verse 26 of our text one more time this morning. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness they will rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky the livestock the whole earth and and the creatures that crawl on the earth so not only indicating how important man was in the creation of all that God created but also the dominion that we were to have over the animal kingdom and all the rest that God has created and embedded in those wonderful words is a truth and a promise we're special We are, in fact, the crown of God's creation. We are important. We are valuable to the God who made us. And if you've ever read Psalm 8, the psalmist says that we were created just a little lower than the angels. In fact, the word angels there in the original text indicates deity. The the only thing close to what we are is God himself. We were created just a little, little lower than God. Again, created in his image, and don't forget that. God created us humans to be more like him than anything else that he has made. Now, it's true that the heavens declared the glory of God. The Bible says so. But they were not made in the image of God. That's only said about man. Rocks were not made in God's image. Trees aren't. Even cats and dogs. Sorry, animal lovers. Even cats and dogs were not created in God's image. We are the only thing that was made in his image. And watch this carefully. There are no exceptions, no exceptions at all to this promise. Every man and woman born or pre-born, rich or poor, suburban or urban, is made in the image of Almighty God. Some people resist that truth. There are some people who merely suppress it, but other people embrace it and they enhance it. And watch this. They wind up being transformed by that biblical truth but all people are made in god's image i really wanted to hammer that home and that they're they meant to find joy and fulfillment and meaning in their lives because of that promise now sadly and tragically sin has distorted god's god's image in us distorted it but he has not destroyed it to one degree or another sin has has tainted our moral purity even if the bible didn't say that and it does Every one of us would, I think, know that intuitively at one level or the other. But we do not need to think for a moment that that God has rescinded his promise, that he has changed his plans, and that he has altered his view and his perspective about how valuable we are to him. God still creates people in his image. And he has created us to be in a relationship with him that we might be able to walk on this earth and reflect his glory. I think even some of my own brothers and sisters have lost sight of that. That a part of our very purpose, our reason for being, is to reflect God's glory everywhere we go. So that especially the people who are closest to us, our family and our friends, can see God in us. And I don't mean just created in his image, but can see that divine spark that God has placed in every one of us, and they can see the family resemblance of us and our Heavenly Father. You see, God's desire for all of us is that we know and believe that God created us in His image, as we've just been talking about, and and that we allow God to do His ongoing work of, of shaping us more and more every day into His image. And if you think that's biblical, you're exactly right about that. The more we have fellowship with God... The more we spend time in his word, the more we obey his commands and try to understand and reflect his character, the more something and someone wonderful will begin to emerge in our hearts and lives. We will more regularly say things that God would say. We will more regularly do things that God would do. We will be more regularly love and forgive just as as God loves and forgives and if we do that with enough consistency, people will begin to look at us and say, at least within themselves, you know, you remind me of your heavenly father. If I've read this book correctly, that's why we're on this planet. So that we can understand and revel in the fact that we were alone were made in God's image and that we are to reflect his glory as we walk this earth. Now, with that in mind, consider Paul's assurance because Paul he, he, he counted himself in on this discussion and he talked about the transformation process in some of his letters. And I specifically want to begin with his letter to the Colossians. If you've got your Bible or your app, you might want to look at Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to focus for a moment on verses 9 and 10. Here's what he said to the Colossians. Do not lie to one another since you have, watch this, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self... You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. What is it that ought to motivate you, and and, and what is it that ought to serve as an incentive for you to put off the old man of sin, the old man of the old world, and put on the new man of Christ? The very fact that you were created in God's image. You have been created like your Father. Now, since he's a spirit, we assume that has nothing to do with our physical appearance. We don't look like him physically, but that we are in communion with him and similar to him in a spiritual sense. And Paul, I think, acknowledges that in this text. And notice that process involves putting off the old man and putting on the new self. And also notice that this renewing process brings us in line with the image of the creator. That's exactly what we've been talking about up to this point. God's goal for us is for us to grow into His image just as we were meant to be. Just as he had planned for us to be all along. And then in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote this. This time, chapter 3, verse 18. He said, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is saying that looking into the mirror of the Word of God causes us to, number one, be able to see God's glory and then to be transformed into his image. And that process, by the way, he says, goes on to say at the end of the verse, is empowered and enabled by the very Spirit of God. I think that's significant, but there's another lesson in that, and you're not going to get it this morning. Pop psychology, and I'm going to be very plain about this, but I hope that I'm not unkind in what I'm about to say. Pop psychology is wrong when it tells us to look within ourselves in order to find the true value in ourselves. The magazines are wrong when they suggest that we are only as good as we are thin and muscular and have clear complexions. The advertisers are wrong when they imply that our value increases as our stamina, our intellect, and our net worth increase. And even religious leaders are wrong when they urge us to grade our value according to our church attendance only, our good works only, our spiritual discipline only, as if we might be able to earn the favor of God by doing those things. No, according to the Bible, you and I are valuable, and we are special to him simply because God made us in his image, period. And that alone qualifies us to be people of value and uniquely designed. God cherishes us because we bear a remarkable resemblance to him. I hope that's your takeaway from this lesson. I hope if you forget everything else we've talked about this morning, that you'll carry that home with you in your hearts. As God knows, we we flourish best if we revel in the value that he's given us. Not that the world grants to us, but that God has given to us. As we dwell in our relationship with God, as we live our role as an image bearer of God, as long as he blesses us with life, on this earth each of us will lay hold of this promise if we'll do that then we will spare ourselves a world of confusion and fear and pain can you imagine how much sadness would instantly evaporate if every person on planet earth simply chose to believe this one fundamental truth that we were created in god's image and for his glory Now unfortunately the work of the enemy of our souls and that's Satan and the resulting mindset of the world who's been influenced by Satan keeps us from either knowing or or maybe believing God's truth and God's promise. I'll remind you that Satan is called the grand deceiver for a reason and we're conditioned to believe that we are unworthy or that we have to somehow earn our worthiness. But I want you to think about what every parent and what every grandparent believes and feels toward their own offspring. When a baby is growing in its mother's womb, what kinds of things are being felt and thought by by mom and dad, and even by grandma and grandpa? Are they thinking, I hope this baby can earn my love, and and I hope that they can someday achieve a degree of self-worth You know that's the last thing on the minds of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. No, parents and grandparents love and value their babies even before they're born. Isn't that right? We have our eighth grandbaby on the way. If the Lord wills and blesses their lives on Valentine's Day, how appropriate, we're going to have another little granddaughter And it's strange how, as the family gets together, as we did a week ago yesterday, how that she's already a part of the discussion, as if she's already a member of the family. She already has value in our hearts. She's already meaningful to us. She's already another little meddling, if you know what I mean. She's a child that we have come to appreciate even before we get to know her. And God's book says that's the way it ought to be long before they've done anything or they've accomplished anything that might earn them any status or esteem in our eyes or the eyes of anyone. We've never seen him or her, and yet we still somehow love him or her. The baby has done nothing to earn our love and value, and yet remarkably they still have it. Parents and grandparents would will do literally anything for that little one. And why is that? Well, because those little ones carry a part of the parent and the grandparent. They, in a real sense, bear our image. One other quick family illusion: our oldest daughter has only one daughter of her own. And our oldest daughter's name is Allison. And we call her daughter, whose real name is Kaylee, Allison 2.0. Some of you who are parents of small children know exactly what I'm talking about. All of those things that we dealt with as we were bringing Allison up in our home, she is now dealing with with Kaylee. She bears the remarkable image of her mom in so many areas of her life, both good and bad. And we understand what God is talking about when he says, I love you because you're my son. You're my daughter. Even before you've done anything to accomplish anything that might earn that worthiness and that value and that love, God still loves us with an inexplicable love. And I'm so glad he does. So let's for a moment apply that understanding to God, our heavenly parent. Why, why does God love every one of us with that everlasting, undying love? It has nothing really to do with us. It has everything to do with him. Did you hear me? It has nothing to do with us and our worthiness and our inherent value. It has everything to do with God. And the fact that we were created in his image, we are God's offspring. We carry a part of God in us. And God made us in his image and he stamped his name on our hearts. Think about someone's opinion for a moment because we so often allow our value and our significance and our importance to be determined even in our own minds by what others say about us. And I preached on that just a few months ago in a lesson entitled, Tear the Label Off. You may remember that, but I want to I hit the high point for just a moment. Someone may have mistreated you or someone may have called you a lost cause. Someone may have branded you as a failure and and dismissed you as being insignificant. And that if you were to disappear overnight, the world would, would have no loss whatsoever. Don't listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about. We need to evaluate our own importance and our own worth by looking at what God says about us. We're made in God's image. Therefore, we have a divine spark in us. End of discussion. And when any of us turn toward God and begin trusting in him and trusting in his immutable promises, then God, he blows on that holy ember and it grows into a flame if only we will stay in fellowship long enough with him in order for him to be able to do that. Are any of us perfect? You know the answer to that as well as I do. But we're being... Trust me, I struggle with this concept and I I sense that others do as well. We are being made perfect little by little, day by day, as we continue in fellowship with our Savior. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we referenced a moment ago is all about, being transformed into his image day by day. As the poster says of the little child standing in front of the tar paper shack, the caption reads, God made me and God don't make no junk. And that's exactly right. God made us, and he owns us, and he loves us with that inexplicable love. And God's love does not depend on us so much as it's based on him. Remember, we're God's idea. We have been made in the image of God. The very first chapter of the first book of the Bible says that, as we have read twice already this morning. So we are somebody important to God because God says so. And think of the profundity of that. And guess what else? Our value, in God's eyes, can never change. I think I used this illustration just a few weeks ago, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump it again because I think it's appropriate to the occasion. Suppose I were to hold up a $20 bill, then I ask you how many of you who are here today or, or watching us online would like to have this $20 bill. Well, $20 is $20. I'll take it. But before I give it to you, I need you to know some things about this $20 bill. Would you still want it if I told you that it's been crumpled and wrinkled? In fact, it's been folded up several times in my wallet, and you're lucky to be able to unfold it. Would you still want it if I told you that it's been dropped on the ground and stepped on a number of times? Would you still want it if I told you that, well, I hate to admit this, but I dropped it in the toilet. But don't worry, because I dried it out and ironed it. (laughs) The answer is, yes, I'd still want that. Why? because it's still a $20 bill and it has lost absolutely none of its value the identity of a $20 bill is inherent in it and it cannot change and I hope you can see that important lesson for each of us that no matter what happens to the money it doesn't change its identity it does not decrease its value $20 bill is still a $20 bill and the Bible says the same thing is true about each of us and our inherent value many times in our lives we're dropped we're crumpled, we're stepped on either by the decisions maybe that we've made, bad decisions, bad choices that we've made, and we're having to deal with the consequences of those choices or circumstances that come our way, or sometimes it might be because of what others have done to us or what others have said about us. And because of those things, we feel as though we feel as though we are worthless. And no matter what has happened and what will happen. I want you to know that we'll never lose our value in God's eyes. Dirty or clean, crumpled or creased, we're still priceless to the God who made us and who somehow continues to love us. Our worth doesn't come by what we do or who we know or what has happened to us. But by who we are, and I imagine this next point is even more important, by whose we are. So as we end this lesson, let me remind you one more time that as Christians, we're all God's children. We need to always keep in mind that, that we are God's creation made in his image and that we are persons of value because of that very fact. If there were no other verses in the Bible, rather than just Genesis 1, and 27, those two verses would for all time Fix and cement in our hearts the reality that God considers us people of value and importance. We're conceived by God long before we were ever conceived by our parents. We are loved in heaven before we were ever known on earth. We're not an accident of nature or a random fluke of genetics or happenstance due to the fickle finger of evolution. No, no, what the textbooks and what the world tells us is not so. We're not defined by the number of pounds we weigh, the number of followers that we have on Instagram, by the car we drive or by the clothes we wear. We are made by God. We were made in his image and he loves us as his children. And we need to get our heads on straight about that fact. He valued us enough to make us in his his image. That is a matter of biblical record. And he values us enough, as we have already commemorated this morning, to allow his precious son to die in our behalf, in our stead, because he loves us. And if you can fully understand and comprehend that, please meet me in the foyer because I want you to explain how God could love me. And how that he could love you in our worst moments. The one who knows us best loves us the most. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thought to contemplate on this Sunday morning as God's children? And once we have a handle on that vision for ourselves, we can allow, and this last point is so, so vital, so don't stop listening, please. It also allows us to change and transform how we view other people. So every person you and I encounter is a person who's also been created in God's image. And for that reason, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and and to be valued and loved. Because just like me, just like you, they were created in God's image. Can you imagine the impact, folks, that that promise would have on our world if it were to be widely embraced? If everybody on the planet right now understood that God made them and made every one of us in his image. If every person in the world believed the promise that everyone is someone important because they have been created in his image. Can you imagine how that that would change and how that, that would reshape the world and the social situation in which we live? Can you imagine the civility that that would cause and the kindness that it would foster? Racism and hatred simply cannot flourish. In fact, it can't exist when people believe that their neighbor bears the image of God just as much as they do. It doesn't matter what the color of our skin is. You were created in God's image, just like the rest of us. And a man will not abuse a woman, and a woman won't abuse a man, if they really understand that he or she bears the stamp of God and is loved and valued by God. A boss won't neglect or exploit an employee if they believe that employee is stamped in God's image and was specifically created by him. None of us would write off as worthless the indigent, the mentally ill, the inmate on death row, or the poverty stricken. If we truly believe that every human being is a part of God's special creation and and, and if we constantly understand and accept the fact that God made me and God don't make no junk. So just imagine for a moment how this promise would impact people's opinions about such matters as abortion and euthanasia. If we really believed that even preborn, they were made in God's very image. Now, the author I mentioned at the beginning of this study concludes his chapter on the promises of God by saying that kids, if you watch them carefully, well, you don't even have to watch them carefully. If you'll just passingly observe a child, they're constantly saying, look at me. On their tricycle, look at how fast I can go. On the trampoline, look at how I can jump. Or when they're on the swing, look at how high I can go. And that kind of behavior is natural and acceptable from children. But sadly, though, a lot of adults spend our grown-up years saying the same things because we have misplaced the source of our value and we say look at the fancy car i drive look at me make all of this money look at me wear expensive or maybe provocative clothing look at me flex my muscles or use really big words look at me isn't it time for us to grow up and to understand where our real value comes from god created us with value He wants us to have a life that says every single day, I want you to look at God. Look at the value that God gives me. Look at the love that God has for me, even when I can't understand it. I'm God's child, and he says I'm somebody, no matter what. And that promise needs to be embedded on our minds and on our hearts, doesn't it? Norman Vincent Peale the best-selling author of Old once told about an experience that he had in Hong Kong walking the streets and he said he found a tattoo studio on a twisted little street in Hong Kong and on the he said on the window were displayed quite an assortment of the tattoos that were available you know flags anchors mermaids that kind of things that are typically offered to be inscribed forever on your skin at a certain price and one tattoo that only had three small words struck him with a great deal of sadness. Because he said the three words were born to lose. And he was so overwhelmed by the sadness of that that he went in and he asked the tattoo artist, does anybody actually come in here and want to have those three words tattooed onto their body? And, and the guy said, yes, sometimes. And Peel replied, I just can't believe anybody in their right mind would do that. To have that imprinted on themselves, that negative view of life and view of themselves in that way. And the Chinese man simply tapped his forehead and said in broken English, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. That's true. But if we believe what this book says, and if we believe God's assessment of us, then we were not born to lose. We were born to be God's children. Not only stamped in his image, created in his image, uniquely designed by God to bring glory to him, but to be his children in that spiritual sense. And folks, this morning, I just hope and pray that all of us will remove any tattoos from our minds that are false, that do not belong there, and replace them with the truthful promises of God. And one of the most important promises that we need to imprint on our mind and heart is the promise is that I am somebody important to God. I'm made in God's image and for God's glory and I have lasting value that can never change because I am God's own creation and God's child and God loves me with an unconditional and with an everlasting love and he loves you to that same degree. I'm here to tell you that God's promise is, is a foundation and it's an anchor for our souls and you can believe it, and you can embrace it, and you can bask in it. And let, let's allow that promise to change us. And starting right here with the University Church, then change our world. I challenge you to write that promise. I am somebody important to God. Write it down on a piece of paper and put it someplace where you can see it every day. You know, put it on your, your mirror or your dresser, your desk, your computer screen, someplace where you will see that every day that I am somebody important to God and pray that promise into your mind and into your heart and meditate on it and give thanks for it and share it with others because this promise is true for you and it's true for everyone else one final question are you God's child in the spiritual sense all of us are God's children by the sense that he has created every single one of us stamped his image I think we've established that but the bible says we become his unique children adopted into his spiritual family the church by virtue of our response to what jesus has done for each of us so this morning if you have never repented of all of your sins turned your back on the world turned your face to jesus and said i want to follow you and be more like you every day of my life i hope this morning will be the time when you do that if you've never used that wonderful power of voice to say I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God I hope this morning will be the day that you do that if you've never been immersed in water baptized into Christ to have his blood wash away every one of your sins so that you can be his son his daughter and his forever family I hope right now will be the time when you decide to do that while we stand in.